All right. Welcome back. We have a lot to get to from week one in the NFL. Pretty eventful, dramatic opening week in the NFL. Going to talk a little college football as well in the middle. Some Spencer Rattler, what I saw, Alabama holding off Texas. But first, let's start with the Monday night game. And before I get to the actual game, how nice was it to have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman? I'm one of the few people who think the broadcasters matter to a broadcast. And I thought Aikman and Buck really, like just hearing their voice, you're like, oh, this is a big game. This is, I need to watch this game. Anyway, getting to the game, Russell Wilson returns to Seattle. They boo him. I'm fine with that. He left. He wanted out. There's some friction between him and Pete Carroll. I'm good with the booing. But let's get into the game. Geno Smith starts out on fire. I think he hit his 13 consecutive throws. They score a touchdown on the opening drive, and he has a really nice first half. And Seattle goes into halftime up 17-13. And I wrote down in my notes, do you think Geno Smith can do this for a full game? That was the question at halftime because, you know, I've said this about quarterbacks before. There's a reason why some quarterbacks are backups and don't get many opportunities. The coaches, everyone in the league, they've seen the film. They understand what this quarterback is about. And especially when a quarterback has a large sample size of starts like Geno Smith, it's very rare that this quarterback will all of a sudden get better and prove the league wrong. So I was skeptical in halftime. You've got a Denver defense with some good players able to make adjustments after a really tough first half for the defense. And I was right. Seattle does not score a single point in the second half. They're stuck on 17. And where this game was lost for Denver, they only scored three points in the second half. They drove the ball inside of the five-yard line of Seattle's three times and scored three points. That's where this game was lost. Sometimes, and I'll get to this part of the game, that part everyone's talking about, Sometimes we think what happened at the end, like Nathaniel Hackett choosing to kick the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and five, we think that's the reason they lost because it happened at the end. But in reality, if you only score three points after three great drives, it's really hard to win. Not only are you not putting up points on the scoreboard, but it's really deflating after having great drives and only coming away with three points. And so these all happened in the second half. Come out in the second half, Denver, they're looking to get Cortland Sutton in the mix. There weren't a lot of receptions in the first half for receivers, except that long one to Judy and maybe one to Sutton. They come out first drive, throwing it to Sutton. They get fourth and inches on the goal line. Melvin Gordon fumbles. He probably wasn't going to get the touchdown anyway. And so everyone's like, hey, why don't you give it to Javante Williams? Okay, next drive. Randy Gregory strips DK Metcalf. Broncos having a plus territory. They give it to Javante on third and goal. He fumbles, okay? Back-to-back fumbles on the goal line, the literal goal line. And Seattle takes over. Their offense can't do anything. Nick Chubb gets there, gets a sack fumble. Seattle recovers and punts. Then we have another drive. First and goal, six minutes left in the game. Incomplete pass. Tight end just barely misses dragging his foot. Uh, They get a a false start penalty. It pushes them back. They're just unable to run the ball anywhere near the goal line. 
And you got to give Seattle credit. They clamped down in coverage. And so they settled for a field goal, 17-16. But if you're a Broncos fan, you're still like, hey, the Seattle team cannot move the ball at all. You're right. Another three and out. Denver gets the ball back. We've got a third and long after a little Javante Williams screen gets tackled behind the line. And Russell Wilson throws it out wide to Javante Williams. There's a defender right there to tackle him at the line of scrimmage, which would have made it fourth and 15, right around Denver's 45. Instead, Javante Williams makes the guy miss, spins around, falls forward, and somehow, miraculously, gets a 10-yard gain to Seattle's 45-yard line. Broncos run the clock down from like 55 seconds to 25 seconds, which I don't hate if you're kicking the field goal. This is basically do or die. You don't want any extra time for Seattle to try and have a drive coming back. But here's what the calculation is. They're basically saying, Nathaniel Hackett, we have a better chance of kicking a 63-yard field goal than converting a fourth and five. When on this drive, Seattle had converted a ton of third and shorts, third and three, third and four. Now you're faced with a fourth and five. I mean, what do you think the percentage chance of McManus hitting a 62-yarder is? 15%? And so converting a fourth and five, you have to say that that percent is lower than kicking the field goal because if you convert that fourth down, then you already have a shorter field goal and you're already in a better spot than if you kick the 62-yarder. So in the calculation... With three timeouts, he made the decision that converting a fourth and five is below 15% or whatever percent you would put on making a 62-yarder. It's insane. I don't agree with it. Um, I also don't agree with the Twitter argument where it's like, you pay you know, $250 million to Russell Wilson, you have to go for it. I don't think coaches are like, hey, I pay my quarterback X amount, therefore I'm going to go for it on fourth down this many times. I don't think... The Vikings are like, hey, we're paying Kirk Cousins $40 million a year. Therefore, that's going to dictate how we do our offense. I think you make it indecision, in-game with all the context, and it was a bad decision. The math simply doesn't add up. Converting five downs is much easier than kicking a 60-plus-yard field goal, which McManus is one for eight in his career uh, on 60-plus-yard field goals. But hey, if he makes it, if he starts the field goal off, two and a half yards further to the right and makes it Nathaniel Hackett is a genius all right let's talk some college football and noon on Saturday I watched about 95 percent not to brag of the South Carolina Arkansas game because I wanted to watch Spencer Rattler the former Oklahoma quarterback transfers over to South Carolina and The thing we see with college quarterbacks, they're so young, they have so much to learn and grow. We normally see in between seasons, either quarterbacks get better or worse. Not a lot of ground in between. Think Joe Burrow going to LSU, getting a lot better. Kenny Pickett, always up or down. Spencer Rattler has remained the exact same as he was in Oklahoma. There's a couple plays where you're like, oh man, this is pretty good. But then there's a few other plays where you're like, Oh my God, how did he miss that guy? How did he not see that? Perfect example, uh, South Carolina was was making a little comeback. I think they're down two touchdowns, but they're driving in Arkansas territory. An open post by a slot guy for South Carolina. Rattler hits his back foot. He second guesses himself. He doesn't throw it. He waits, throws it like pretty late, like two seconds late, intercepted, and that pretty much wrapped up the game. 
what we have with Spencer Rattler is a talented quarterback who does not have a feel for the game of football playing the quarterback position. He's the opposite of a Patrick Mahomes or a Joe Burrow who they feel the pass rush. They're able to escape through alleys before you even realize they're there. With Spencer Rattler, and I think I mentioned this last year, he either thinks he's like a step and a half faster than he is or just has really low awareness because so many times when he tries to scramble out wide or through like the A-gap and then go out wide, he always gets tripped up. It's like he feels like he can get past the defender, but they're always there. They swipe his foot, and it's like, did he think he was fast enough to get past this guy, or did he not feel that guy? Eventually, with Rattler, we've got so much game film, so many examples of him just not having a feel for the game that, you know, it's a sad day for me because I'm a huge Rattler guy. Um, I think I'm officially off the Rattler I'm off Rattler Island. I have offloaded all my Rattler stock. Um, I'm selling at a loss. You know, I'm not too happy about it. But there's a thing with playing the quarterback position, and I would know because I played at a really high level, a really, really high level. And so I can tell when a quarterback does not have that feel for it because I had all the feel for it, okay? Rattler just doesn't have it. And he's got some talent. He's got some good arm strength. He can be quick at times. But the anticipation, the trusting the throw, it's just not there. And I just don't think he's going to get there with this South Carolina team, which is frustrating um, because they've got some talent on that team. So we saw a lot of upsets in college football this week. We had Notre Dame losing at home to Marshall. We had Texas A&M losing at home to Appalachian State, who I don't think they're going to have a hard time finding teams to play in the coming years because they should have been UNC. They beat a top 10 team in Texas A&M. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to want to schedule them. And then we had Nebraska losing as 28-point favorites. You know, sometimes I think coaches are getting, on Twitter, are getting harped on way too much, way too much criticism over the top. With Scott Frost, all of it, every single ounce of it is justified. 28-point favorites at home. Just the past two and a half years of disappointment. I mean, can you imagine entering, you know, four or five games a year with the better players, the 80 better players on the field, and you just lose like 75% of those games? Um, you know, they're not expected to beat some of the top teams in the Big Ten, but um, losing these games you know, and just shows they wanted him out of the building. He had a his buyout was cut in half by $9 million if they kept him another month. But they were like, we need this guy out of the building. He is so bad for our program. We will swallow $9 million just to have him moved out. Um, so he's gone, and rightfully so. Never call for another man's job, but uh, it was time for somebody else. But what I wanted to get to with the upsets is, you know, in a lot of sports like NFL, NBA, you want to have the highest peak. To win in the NBA, you've got to reach a peak where you're beating teams in seven-game series, and in the NFL, you've got six tough divisional games you need to hit close to your peak at to win. You've got to win three, four playoff games to win the Super Bowl. You've got to find that peak. Being Finding the peak, fulfilling the potential is really important. However, in college football, with the smaller playoffs and a higher intensity on the regular season, 
it's really important to have a really high basement rather than peak. You just need your peak if you're in Alabama or Georgia for a couple games, for that SEC championship game and for those playoff games. And so one underrated aspect of Alabama is when they're not at their best, when they're at close to their basement, they can still pull out wins. And that's what we saw this week as opposed to a team like Notre Dame or a team like uh, Texas A&M, when they're not at their best, they still weren't able to overcome and win. Meanwhile, we go to Alabama at Texas, and yes, Quinn Ewers got hurt. This game could have easily been a Texas win, but they were not at their best, especially offensively. But at the end of the day, Bryce Young gets the ball back, makes an incredible drive, an incredible play where he ducks out of a sack. And I, I spoke earlier about Spencer Rattler. This was a play Rattler would not have dreamt of making, where you feel the defender, you duck under him, 20-yard scramble, get into field goal range, knock it through, and Alabama survives a tough one in Austin. Okay, back to some NFL. And after each week, we get really excited about a player or a team. And what I want to do every week is hit the pause button on some of the teams or players that seemingly trending upwards, everyone's excited about, a player or team that Kyle Brandt is yelling about in, at Good Morning Football. And that player slash team for me is Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. And apparently I'm some anti-Justin Fields guy because everyone else loves him, especially last year where I thought I was going insane because everyone on NFL Live, every sports media person was just drooling over Justin Fields. And I was looking at it and I was like, well, my eyeball, my eyeballs and the statistics tell me that Justin Fields is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL right now, just like all the other rookie quarterbacks. But he was being treated like he was some crazy, masterful, magician, Mahomes-like quarterback. He's not. Let's pump the brakes on Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. I've got a rule now that I just made uh, a few minutes ago. It's called... Is that a play Mitchell Trubisky would make? And if you're getting all excited about a play your quarterback made that Mitchell Trubisky could also make, you're probably a little over your skis. And I didn't see the entire Bears game, but from what I saw in the second half, which is where he had the majority of his completions, I didn't see any throw. Granted, it was during a monsoon, but I didn't see any play. And really last year, where there's some great throw over the linebacker dropping it in between a safety or some scramble and throw through a tight window. Now he scrambled and threw back, but that guy was wide open. We've seen Mitchell Trubisky scramble and make a play like that. But you look at Mahomes and Herbert and even some of these middle-tier guys like Tannehill, um, Tua, and Mac Jones, they can still fit the ball into tight windows and make some really nice plays. They don't do it at the frequency that Allen, Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers do but in watching fields I've never seen a throw where I'm like oh my gosh that is a you know top third of this league type throw and so until then I'm taking my stance I'm pumping the brakes on the Bears and Justin Fields another quarterback I'm not a fan of Matthew Stafford this is going back to Thursday night uh he looked awful and he has no mobility and I'm so mad that we let him win a Super Bowl because he should just be the standard. I'm going to put up some good stats, but I'm not going to win. And freaking Todd Bowles called an all-out blitz in that tie game in the NFC Championship game and gave up that big throw to Cup. And 
then they beat the Bengals. So frustrating. But Stafford, like, he had Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson isn't just a number one receiver. He is one of the all-time receivers. He couldn't win. He couldn't have any seasons above 500. I think he had, like, one 9-7 season. Now he has Cooper Cup, who's a top three receiver in the league, and Sean McVay, the best play caller in the league. And we saw against the Bills in a time where we're getting more pass rushers and their, out, their skill is outpacing the skill of offensive linemen. You need mobility. Stafford doesn't have it. So frustrating to watch. Um, Richard Sherman had some great tweets about him if you want to check that out, calling Stafford um, out for his play and his interceptions. And lastly, I'm just calling out quarterbacks basically in this segment. Daniel Jones, look, the Giants won. I love Brian Dable. I actually really liked him yelling at Daniel Jones because I felt like coaches previously were taking it easy on him. Sometimes you got to yell at your quarterback, and he's got the pedigree to do it. He coached Josh Allen. He got him from where he started in his first year, completing like 55% to an MVP candidate, and goes for two. Saquon Barkley, the best we've seen him since Penn State, just running through guys. Um, he'll do that thing where he tucks the ball in front of him with two arms and just will run straight into you and like bench press you. He looked great, but do not get excited. This is Daniel Jones has had his chance. I mean, we look at the leashes and how shorter and shorter they get for quarterbacks because we've got new ready quarterbacks coming out each year. Daniel Jones's leash is like 2.5 times other quarterbacks. And look, as a quarterback, you can take some sacks. You can throw some interceptions. What you can't do is constantly get sacked and fumble. And that's what Daniel Jones does. He hasn't learned it yet. They won this game, but he's not the guy moving forward. And Giants fans, Giants front office, you need to understand that because you've got a pretty solid team outside of that quarterback. Lastly, Green Bay Packers, uh, uh-oh. Didn't look great opening up against the Vikings. Um, if you're a Packers fan, you're not freaking out because you've lost all three opening games with LaFleur and Rodgers. But from the opening play, the, the deep ball placed perfectly by Rodgers, dropped by C.J. Watson. Um, Rodgers finishes up, uh, throws for 195 yards, QBR 16.1, not great. It wasn't just the receivers. The offensive line uh, has some holes in it. This is one of the rare games where everyone was on the Vikings and they actually hold up and crush Green Bay. This Vikings offense looks legit. I mean, Green Bay coming in, we think they're going to have a top five, top seven defense. Um, Justin Jefferson is incredible. And we're in a period of time where we've got so many great young receivers. I mean, Jamar Chase, some of those catches he had late against Pittsburgh, one of them was called out of bounds. Uh, one of them wasn't called a touchdown, which I'm not sure why. Zach Taylor didn't challenge it. But I'm not ready to write off the Packers. And let's wrap up with the Steelers versus the Bengals. We had missed kicks. We had questionable coaching decisions. We had the Bengals playing for a field goal in overtime. After we'd already had all these missed field goals, they kick a field goal on third down. Just really makes you question how both the Rams and Bengals got to the Super Bowl after watching them in week one. But this goes all back to the trend of not playing the preseason. You think this is the first time these collection of players have played against a different team than them and it's going to be a little sloppy, and we saw it play out. But Bengals-Steelers, um, this is Mike Tomlin. This is what Mike Tomlin does on the road, underdogs. He's like, oh, you're going to count us out? Wins with Mitch Trubisky. Mika Fitzpatrick not only has the block kick, also has a pick six earlier in the game, and this was just vintage Tomlin. Nobody squeezes out 
talent and potential out of a less talented team than Mike Tomlin. And it's just awesome. He's just simply an incredible coach. Top two, top three coach in the league. I think Belichick is slowly coaching himself out of that. But, you know, Andy Reid and Mike Tomlin right now, John McVay, kind of the three guys I would want right now moving forward in the NFL. And Tomlin showed you why right there, winning with Trubisky. I mean, to win with such a quarterback that is so much worse than the opposing quarterback is so impressive. And a huge win for the Steelers, reminiscent of week one last year where they beat uh, the Buffalo Bills. I think they were both both times like six-point underdogs. So that wraps up week one. Uh, enjoyed it, loved it. Looking forward to some more football and my Chiefs and Chargers Thursday night, the premiere of NFL on Amazon Prime. Let's freaking do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Talk to you guys in a few days. See ya.